yeah, it was, it was good. Now, this morning, the message uh, that we're going to be exploring, that we're going to be looking at a passage in, in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. Not a really well-known passage, but I've entitled the message, The, the Dangers of Do-It-Yourself. Now, we're just talking um, about do-it-yourself. How many of you here are like do-it-yourself people? You're fixers, right? You get it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to be ashamed. Yeah, that's good. Anyone else? So we got three people? People scratching their head? I'm not sure. Not many, right? Well, here's the thing. I love do-it-yourself people because I am not a do-it-yourself person. Um, I like do-it-yourself people. I don't get you. I don't understand you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm good at vacuuming. I can pump gas. Recently, I've learned how to um, add oil. Not change oil, just add oil. <laughs> um, I'm not good at fixing things. I just, I'm terrible at that. And, and if you ever came over to my, my house and, and you'd look up on the wall, there, there'd be pictures on the wall, but what you don't see are all the holes behind the pictures. Like just last week, I hung up pictures that we bought three years ago. Um, and I said, you know what? I'm going to put them up. And sure enough, there are holes behind the, 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 the picture. I just can't get things level. And I understand there's a thing called a level, but I don't know how it works. Um, in fact, one of the ways I can entertain my mom and dad is telling them stories of me trying to fix things. Um, I'm just not good at it. But I appreciate those who are. And I actually know a lot of people who can fix things, so they help me out, like with cars and things like that. But why am I talking about do-it-yourself? Well, again, do-it-yourself is a good thing in so many ways until it comes to our faith. And that's the theme of the passage that we're going to be looking at today. It's, it's what this passage is all about. Again, it's not a well-known passage, but it's found in the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible, turn to the New Testament to the book of Colossians. Oh, well done. You got Bibles? Good. Colossians is in the New Testament. It's written by a guy named Paul, who was an early follower of Jesus Christ. And it's written to a church in a city called Colossae. That's why it's called the book of Colossians. And so we're going to look at uh, Colossians chapter 2. And uh, it's a really important passage. So Colossians chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 8, and then we're going to jump down to verse 16 and, 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 and read our, our section. So Colossians chapter 2, listen up. This is how it goes. Paul, Paul writes this. In verse 8 he says, See to it, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Verse 16, he says, Therefore don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. 
You know, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you're still alive to the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to all the things that are perished, all that perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Whoa, that's a thick passage. There's a lot in there. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us. Your word is life. Your word transforms us. You, by your spirit, speak through your word and make dead things come alive. And so we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. If, uh, we, we pray that hard hearts this morning would, would, would be softened and that we would lean in. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is our passage, so keep it open. This is what we're going to be looking at today. Let me give you a little bit of context. Paul, in this letter to, uh, to the church in Colossae, Paul is basically telling the church, look, your God is too small. Your picture of who Jesus is is way, way too small. And I think in the church today, our picture of Jesus is way too small. And so he says way back in, in, in chapter 1, he says, you know, this Jesus that we're talking about, this Jesus, he is... He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. All things hang together because of this Jesus. And if you get Jesus, if he's too small, you miss out. If you get him wrong, you miss out. And so he says this Jesus, it's through him, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that, uh, that you and I go from death to life, from being lost to being found. And so he encourages us. He encourages the church to be rooted in Jesus, to be built up. Now, why is he saying all this? This is important because it's a letter. Why is he saying this? Because there's a danger in the church. There's a danger that's lurking in the church. And he gives it a name, actually. He gives it a name. You know the name he gives it? He calls it the philosophy. The philosophy. And uh, this philosophy that's making its way through the church is causing problems. And that's why he warns them three times. He says in verse 8, he says, don't let anyone take you captive by this philosophy. And then in, in our passage, he says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you because of this philosophy. And then later on, he says, don't let anyone disqualify you because of this philosophy. So the question is, what is this philosophy? And why is it so dangerous? Well, in a nutshell, the philosophy is what? It's a do-it-yourself religion. It's do-it-yourself religion. And Paul says, this is going to kill you. This will kill you. So what I would like to do this morning is just two things. I want to look at what is this philosophy, what do-it-yourself religion looks like, and then we're going to look at why is it so dangerous. That's all we're going to do. So what does this do-it-yourself religion look like? Well, Paul, he says there's different characteristics. He says it's a, it's a religion that prefers style over substance. And you see that right at the beginning. He says, don't let anybody pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is in Jesus. And so it seems like there's some people in the church. And what these people in the church are saying, hey, you want to be a Christian, this is what it means to be a Christian. Well, you have to, 
remember these holidays, mark these seasons, you have to practice these Sabbaths, you have to you know, do different things, eat these different kinds of foods, participate in different kinds of feasts. You do this, this, and this, and this, and that's what makes you a good Christian. Now, we're not quite sure what's going on. It looks like there's some people in the church that had a mixture of Greek and Jewish ideas mixed together. We're not quite sure. And, and the reality is, and we have to recognize this, the reality is, is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it should change your behavior. So Paul's not against that. Yeah, it should make a difference in, in how you live your life. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation, you're to bear fruit, to exercise gifts of the Spirit, it should change how you see the world. But here's the thing, and we have to, if you get nothing else this morning, get this. This is absolutely key. The changed behavior in Jesus Christ is an outcome, not a prerequisite. In fact, if you want to understand Paul, let me just explain this. This is absolutely key. If you want to understand Paul, this is how you understand Paul. Paul says this, and this runs through all of his letters. This is the key to understanding Paul, and he writes most of the New Testament. He says this, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a new person, right? You're a new creation, when you put your, your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, what the Bible says is you go from death to life. You go from being a stranger to God to being adopted into God's family. You could call the, the living God of the universe, you can call him father, and he looks at you as daughter. He looks at you as adopted son. So Paul's point says, in Jesus, you are righteous, you are holy, you are loved, you are an adopted son, you're an adopted, this is who you are. This is who you are in Christ. It's beautiful. So start acting like it. That's the, that's, that's the gospel. This is who you are because of grace. So start acting like it. If ever you read Paul, that's Paul's message over and over again. In Christ, you're righteous, so start acting righteous. In Christ, you're holy, start acting holy. Live up to who you already are, okay? Now, here's the danger, is you switch that. You can say, man, I got to do a lot of good things in order to earn, to, in order to be a daughter of the Most High. Or I have to, I have to really try at being holy, and then, then maybe I will be holy. Or I have, to be, I have to try really hard living a righteous life and then God will see me as righteous. Wow, man, you are toast. You're in deep trouble. Because what have you removed? The cross. The cross is gone. And so what you're left with is, is what you have to do in order to be right with God. And I'll tell you, that gets old real quick. Gets old real quick. And so there's these guys in the church and they're saying, all right, to be a Christian, you've got to keep the Sabbath, do this, do this, do this, and then you're a good Christian. And Paul's saying, you know what? These things are okay, you know, Sabbath and these feasts, but these are all Old Testament things that all pointed to Jesus. Well, Jesus has come. So, so why go with the shadow when you can have the substance? Why go to all the things that point to Jesus when Jesus is already here? You have the real McCoy, why are you going back to that? And he says, don't fall for this. Don't fall for style over substance. And the second thing they did, not only did they prefer style over substance, they preferred sights over the Savior. And you read this, and it's a weird passage. I don't know if you, uh, like, I, 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 
I struggle with this passage. I'm not quite sure what he's saying at times. He says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels going on in details about vision, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head. Okay, what's that mean? Um, it's a weird passage, but what seems to be happening is that there's the, the philosophers, this group in this church, in Colossae, what they're doing is they're setting up more obstacles. Um, to, and they're saying, you know what, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a Christian, well, there's a bunch of things. You've got you to practice asceticism. Does anybody know what, what does asceticism mean? Does anybody have a pithy uh, explanation of what that word is? Doing without? Oh, doing without. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's a, de a deprivation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's basically, it's, it's, it's to deny the body in order to have spiritual benefit. Okay, so you guys ever watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Right? Those guys, which is actually a movement in the media. And they did their research. There was actually a movement of guys who would hit their heads. Um, now, the reason they did that is you deny the body in order to have spiritual benefit. And so asceticism, it runs, it, 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 it affects and infects the church in a lot of ways. Um, and it's not, it's not a Christian, real Christian worldview. I mean, because it, it, it's more of a hangover from Greek thinking. Because Greek thinking says the body's bad, uh, material things are bad, and spir spiritual things are good. Deny the body, release the spirit. The Christian worldview says, no, our bodies matter. Our bodies are made in the image of God. Like, our bodies matter. So you don't hate your bodies. But somehow, in this church, in Colossae, that's what they're doing. That's what they're teaching. And, but the, not only that, they're teaching. They're pounding, you know, denying the body. And you deny the body to the point, and hey, hey, here's the cool thing. You get to have some pretty neat spiritual experiences. And so there's these people in the church that are like, man, as a Christian, do you know what I'm experiencing? I'm, I'm being brought into, it's like, into heaven and I'm like seeing angels man it's like so good like I'm like it's so amazing angels heaven visions but then they turn around and say I'm experiencing this are you no huh and you call yourself a Christian that's what's going on and so you got all these people saying we have we're having these amazing ecstatic spiritual experiences and those who aren't well Maybe you're disqualified as a Christian, right? Now, here's the thing. There are some churches that you say, you know what? Hey, man, become a Christian, and it's victorious life, man. It's, it's, it's mountaintop to mountaintop. You know, you just, you just got to believe, and you believe what you believe, and you're up there. And, and, it's, it's good. It's in, and Christian life is just one constant mountaintop. You hear that? You walk away. Because that's not the Christian life at all. I mean, there are mountaintop experiences, but there's also the valleys. And what Christianity says is that Jesus is the Lord of the mountaintops and the valleys, right? Because it's when you're in the deepest, darkest valley, when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, you fear no evil. Why? Because he's with us. Yeah, Psalm 23. 
So Jesus is the Lord of the, of the mountaintops, but he's also the Lord of the valleys, the highs and the lows. Um, and I see, I want to encourage you in this because some of you are, are in the valleys right now and you're like, oh, I must have done something wrong. God must be mad at me. Jesus is mad at me because I'm in the valleys my life. You have to, Jesus is just as present in the valleys as he is on the mountaintops. And he'll meet you in your valleys. That's so important, right? See, Paul sees through this philosophy and he points at the problem. He says, you know, these guys... He says, they're all puffed up. They're big experiences of angels and stuff like that. He says, you know what their issue is? Is that they've let go of the head. Who's Jesus Christ? They've let go of the head. And if you hold on to anything other than the head, the body will die. And that leads us to the final characteristic. It preferred style over substance, sights over the Savior, like these ecstatic experiences, but it also loved rules over relationship. Look at verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spiritual, um, spirits of the world, why do you act as if they're still alive? Why are you promoting self-made religion and asceticism? These have no value whatsoever. Paul reminds the church that it died to all the stuff that threatens to bring it down he says you know the stuff that these guys are promoting all it is is do-it-yourself religion is do-it-yourself religion and do-it-yourself religion will fail it is toxic because here's the thing if it's up to you to be okay with god if your if your faith is 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 about what you do primarily well then what does your life look like I mean, if, if you live your life by, by saying, okay, as a Christian, this is what I'm not going to do. As a Christian, well, I, I can't drink, can't smoke, can't dance, can't do, can't do, can't, can't. And I know Christians like this. They define their faith by what they're not doing. I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't do that. I certainly don't do that. I don't do anything. And they define themselves by what they don't do. And they're just really annoying. <laughs> Like, I just don't see a lot of life coming from them. Jesus says, I came to give you life. And if if your whole life is, no, I will not, I better not, I should not. No, our behavior, we do need to make decisions. But I know Christians, they they just define their faith by what they're not doing rather than, than the life that we're supposed to have. And they're not pleasant people to be around. And so... You become, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just not a good thing. And the other thing is, is what happens is, is if you have people and, and they define themselves by what they're not doing, the danger is, is that in their mind, they are godly, but they're so godly that they miss Jesus. And they, but they think, yeah, it's, it's dangerous. When I, was, um, when I was a new Christian, brand new Christian, I went to, um, I was down in uh, Denver, Colorado, and I, I went to a mall. And so I'm just walking through the mall, brand new Christian. Um, I'd only been a Christian for a short time. And um, these guys come up to me, and they're doing a survey. And I'm one of those guys who actually likes doing surveys. <laughs> so when, they, when the phone call comes in, my wife just gives me the phone, they want to do a survey. I'm like, hey, a survey, I like it. sure, yeah. <laughs> what do you want to know? <laughs> 
Yes, I'm under 18. I can, I can still do it, yes. I'm 65 and over. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Give me the survey, right? Doesn't, I just like doing surveys, right? And so these guys come up to me and they have a list. And he said, oh, we'd like to do a survey with you. I'm like, yeah, I'll do a survey with you. And they start asking me a question, and I realize very shortly it's not a, sur it's a survey, but it's a way to evangelize, right? They're, they're, they're wanting to share their faith. So they're asking me all these questions about God. And I'm like, guys, guys, you're Christian? I'm Christian too. Isn't that awesome? And they looked at me and they said, just answer the questions. <laughs> I'm like, really? Yes, just answer the questions. I said, but, but I'm a... Just answer the questions. I'm like, all right, sure. And they start really going after me. And do you call yourself a Christian? They said, you have a gold cross around your neck. Why don't you sell that and give the money to the poor? I'm like, well, my mom bought me the cross. <laughs> but I suppose I could sell it. Um, and, and, they, and they said, they, uh, seriously, they looked, they said, look at your shoes. And I'm like, I like a crappy old shoes, but they, you could sell your shoes and give it to the poor. I'm like, well, you guys have shoes on. Um, and they just start going through all these things of how I'm not measuring up and I should be doing this and I should be doing this and then I'm a Christian. And I was devastated. Remember, I, I, was, I was a new Christian and I went back to my hotel, hotel room and I'm like, oh man, maybe I, I, I don't have it right. And then here's the thing. There's a danger with valuing rules over relationship because we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves because we think if we're following certain rules then God's happy with us. But you could follow all the rules and miss Jesus, right? Now, I think we like following rules more than Jesus. Why? It's easier. You can bend rules. You can control rules. There are loopholes to rules. It's a lot harder to follow a person, right? And it's dangerous. It's toxic, Paul teaches us, because we die slowly spiritually. And, and, and the, what, why it's so dangerous is that we don't realize we're dying because we think we're living a good Christian life by following these rules, but we're missing Jesus. So why is do-it-yourself religion so dangerous to our health? Well, number of reasons one it produces anxiety and pride it makes you anxious for sure because if 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 it's a question of following rules and then god's happy with me well what happens when i break a rule or what happens when i mess up if if it's up to me if it's up to me for god to be okay with me and okay i do a lot of good things and and god's happy with me i'm doing pretty good i'm doing pretty good what happens when i mess up has the scale tipped again? And then I have to do more things in order to get back on God's good side. Oh, that gets tiring. And so you have this sense, you're in a constant state of anxiety. Have I done enough? Is God mad at me? Right? Or, or it produces pride. Right? Produces pride. Because do it yourself. I could do enough good things. Okay, maybe not enough for, to, for God to be happy, but I'm certainly doing more than Caleb is doing. <laughs> right? I mean, compared to Caleb, <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty good. I'm doing pretty good, right? And so what you do is you look for somebody to measure yourself against. 
And it's like, well, I may not be perfect, but I'm certainly better than. Now, is there any, is, is there any wonder this, this kind of self-righteousness that you see within the church comes up? Self-righteousness is a product of people who don't get grace. It's, it's, it's a product of people who do not understand grace. And the other thing about uh, do-it-yourself, it makes you judgy and makes you a hollow person. And I think Christians today are often seen as judgmental because we like our boundary lines. We like to determine who's in and who's not. If you dress this way, if you speak this way, if you listen to this kind of music. Or... And here's the thing. We're so busy drawing boundary lines, we miss Jesus. And Paul says, he says, you know, this is hollow philosophy. And if you live a life of just rules and regulations and that whole thing, you become a hollow person. Not a person you, people want to be around. The other reason is do-it-yourself religion is do-it-yourself. Uh, and that's a problem. Now, don't mishear me. If we put our faith in Jesus and we're transformed by Jesus, it, it, it ought to make a difference in how we live our lives. But here's the thing, and Paul goes after asceticism. He says, you can deny the body, you can deny, you can deprive yourself all you want. It's not going to make you more Christian, right? It's not going to make any difference. And, and, and asceticism, denying your body, will actually really not have any long-lasting value in stopping the issues of sin in the heart. Now, one guy who got this really well is Martin Luther. Do you guys know Martin Luther? Yeah, 16th century reformer. Martin Luther is a guy who spent his whole life pursuing God. He wanted to know God. And in the 16th century, one of the ways you pursue God is you, you join a monastery, right? And so he joined not just a monastery. He joined, like, you know, the black belts of monasteries, of monks, right? He joined the Augustinians, right? These guys are tough, tough monks. And, and Luther wasn't just a tough, tough black belt monk. He was like a fourth-degree black belt monk because he... He went at it with this desire, saying, you know what? I am going to find God if it kills me. And this is what he says. This is what he says. Quote, Luther says this. He says, quote, I was a good monk, and I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I may say that if a monk ever got to heaven by his monkishness, <laughs> it was I. All my brothers in the monastery who knew me will, will, will give testimony to this. If I had kept at it any longer, I would have killed myself with vigils, prayers, reading, and other work. See, the problem with do-it-yourself religion is you're relying on what? Yourself, yeah. So you can self-fulfillment, self-practice, self-discipline, self-esteem, self-help. It's, it's always the self. And do-it-yourself religion, finally, is dangerous because it keeps us from our head, Jesus Christ. That's why Paul goes after this. He says, you know what? The dangers are great. You, 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 go, you try to do it on your own, and you miss out on salvation. You miss out on, on the life that Jesus wants you to have. You cannot experience true freedom. You cannot be truly human apart from our head, Jesus Christ. And every attempt to be good is not going to work. Without the head, we wither and die. Without the head, the body dies. And so being connected to the body is really important. And the body is a church, right? You need to be connected to the body, and the body needs to be connected to the head. And that's why I always go on about this. That's why I think Christian friendship is so important. We need one another. After I was in Denver, 
and meeting that cult. Um, you know, I went back to my hotel room and I was shaken. I was shaken. I'm like, oh, am, I, am I even a Christian? And I remember talking to some of my friends, and they're like, and they were a lot more mature in, in the faith than, than I am, uh, than I was. And, uh, and they just helped me understand the faith better, right? It helped me understand where I was going wrong. And I'll tell you, you need to have friendship on the journey. Now, you guys know, some of you know, I, I like church history. I mean, one of my favorite guys I've studied probably way too much, but is uh, John Newton. Um, anybody hear of John Newton? He wrote what hymn? Amazing Grace, yeah. And so he spent most of his uh, younger days as a, living a pretty rough life. He was a slave trader and a captain of a slave ship. And uh, Newton, the story goes, uh, like for, for Newton, he came to faith during a storm just, just off the coast of Ireland, a huge storm. He thought he was going to die, and he cries out to God. And he looks back at that moment in his life is kind of like the key moment where he cries out to Jesus. But here's the thing. When Newton became a Christian, his life really didn't change. He lived a horrible life for about another year, still in the slave trade, still doing this stuff. And his life did not change at all until he entered a Christian friendship until he struck up a friendship with a guy named Alexander Clooney. And once he entered into Christian friendship, he began to be transformed. And that is absolutely key. I mean, I, I remember as a Christian, when I first came to faith in Jesus, I think I've probably shared this before, but um, one of the first things I did is I went down to a city called Kunming. I was living in China at the time, and I went down to Kunming because an old drinking buddy of mine was flying back into town. And I would say, oh, I've got to tell Sam. I became a Christian. So I saw Sam, and he got off the plane, and I said, Sam, I became a Christian. And he's like, why would you do that? I'm like, yeah, oh, good question. Yeah, um, because I think it makes sense. And he's like, it's stupid. And I'm like, no, it's not. And so I, I wanted to tell Sam about Jesus. And he says, well, well, let's go out drinking tonight. And I'm like, all right, let's go out. And um, I went out drinking with Sam every night for a month. And we just drank every night. And at the end of the month, he says, you know, you say you're a Christian. <laughs> I don't see any difference in you at all. And after that, I went down to Vietnam to find a friend of mine who was a Christian. And he mentored me. And it's only when he began to mentor me in, in that friendship that I began to change. Right? And this is absolutely key. You know what the devil's strategy is to take you down? His main strategy? Especially in the West. The evil one's main strategy to take you down is to isolate you. Is, is, is for you to say, you know what, I'm okay just watching a sermon online. I'm okay just me and Jesus. I'm not into this whole church thing. I'm kind of spiritual. I like Jesus. I just don't like the church. And I, know, I meet a lot of people like that. It's just me and Jesus, me and Jesus. I'm cool with that. That's what they say. But here's the thing. The strategy of the evil one is to get you by yourself because if you're all by yourself, if you're all by just you watching a sermon online or whatever, he's got you where he wants you because when you're all by yourself, then you're going to start to ask the question, am I crazy for even believing this? And you start to think in your, in your, in your mind, 
I am the last Christian on earth. I'm all by myself. Who believes this stuff? That's why I said most of Sunday morning should be us talking to each other saying, am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. Are you? No, I'm not crazy. I mean, that's what we need to be doing during our greeting time. Am I crazy? for? No, you're not crazy for believing this. This is true. But when you're alone, he'll take you down. So that's why Paul, this is a big deal for Paul. He says, you know, don't settle for the shadow. Look for the real thing. Don't look for mountaintop experiences, but remember that Jesus is Lord of the valley and the mountain. Don't settle for relationships, because relation, uh, don't settle for relationships, don't settle for rules, because rules will hollow you out. It's only through relationship with Jesus and with one another that we live. And I think that's what comes out of this passage. Make sense? All right, well, let's pray. Jesus, we come before you. And we confess that we have so often looked for experiences rather than you. We've settled for rules rather than living in you and following you. We've tried all these shortcuts, but they never deliver. We've tried to do it on our own. But faith on our own, apart from you, will just lead to death. Lord, help us to remember that it is by grace that we have been saved, through faith. This is not of ourselves. There's nothing that we can muster up. But it is your gift from beginning to end. Help us to follow you wherever you lead us, in whatever way that looks. You say that you came to give us life. Help us to have life and to be so overflowing with life that it is contagious and people are drawn to you through our lives. Thank you for the gift of the church, where people, it's a supernatural community, where people who wouldn't otherwise want to hang out with each other love each other and do life together. Thank you for Hillside. I pray for your continued blessing to be upon this church. We commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.